Hi everybody, thanks for joining the second in the series of In and Guard podcasts discussing return to work issues and issues around re-entry to the workplace, safe place of work and what steps employers should be taking in regards to the health and safety of their employees. Today I'm really delighted to be joined by two fantastic lawyers from Spain. So we've got Juan Jose Ita from Agosto Abogados and his colleague Laia Cara, also from Agosto Abogados. We've got Ulf Gerke from Sites Partners in Germany and Regan O'Driscoll from CC Solicitors in Ireland. My name is Beth Hale, I'm a partner at CM Murray in London and today we're going to be thinking about where different countries are, where different jurisdictions are in relation to lockdown, what employers need to be thinking about in relation to re-entry to the workplace, what health and safety obligations they have, what steps they should be taking and what rights employees have if they believe that their workplace isn't safe. Regan, if I can start with you, if that's all right. In Ireland, what is the current lockdown position? Where are you at in terms of what you're allowed and not allowed to do? So we've just entered what's known as phase two of our roadmap for reopening. And uh, it's slightly accelerated from how it was originally envisaged because we've made such good progress. Um, we're down to about 75 people in hospital, I think, in single digits of uh, new infections per day. So they've accelerated phase two. Um, it was always going to be the case that we were going to be allowed to travel within our own counties and up to 20 kilometers from our home um, and meet up to six people from outside of our homes, both indoors and outdoors, subject to social distancing. But what, the, what has been added on is that now all retail is, has reopened, which was unexpected. Uh, again, subject to social distancing. So that's going to obviously present some logistical difficulties for some retailers, which they might have been anticipating having to deal with so quickly. Uh, where you can work at home, that's still being encouraged. So anyone who works in an office is basically still working at home to a large extent. And because uh, the childcare crashes or kindergartens or what have you, uh, won't reopen until the end of the month. And even then, no one's certain exactly to what extent. Largely, people are still working from home. And we're being asked only to use public transport where absolutely necessary. And public transport is, is sort of is limited for social distancing purposes. Um, and other than that, I suppose it's just being recommended by the government that face coverings be used in, in shops and public transport to prevent reinfection. So that's where we are right now. But I think we're, we're doing OK so far. And hopefully uh, this loosening of restrictions won't have any negative impact. And so you talk about return to the workplace for retail settings but not necessarily for office settings. Is there guidance in relation to what employers should be doing for those employees who are coming back into the workplace? Yes there is. The, the government some weeks ago released a protocol for return to work um, and it's actually pretty good. Uh, they entered into talks with both the employer representative bodies and also the trade unions to get something that was pretty comprehensive and it is and, and they've given the kind of guidance that you would expect to be honest in terms of making sure that social distancing will be possible in the workplace, uh, doing things like staggering work times, staggering break times, putting up barriers where necessary, uh, having uh, pr uh, protective equipment available to employees where necessary, uh, having good hygiene facilities and making sure the workplace is clean, hand sanitizers, all that kind of thing. But what is interesting from our perspective is it's something that they added on, I think that a lot of people didn't, I suppose, even imagine, was that they, um, I mean, everybody thought that, uh, or, or a lot of professionals would have thought that what you need to have is somebody within the workplace who's senior enough to take responsibility for the, the COVID-19 policy that you'll need to put in place, the, the protocol that you as an employer will need to put in place, uh, and, and somebody who will police that from a senior level and take responsibility for it. But what the government also recommended was that an employee representative be appointed as well to work with the employer to ensure that the employees are part of the decisions that are being made and part of the plans that are being put in place. 
Um, and I think it's going to be very valuable going forward. Yeah, that kind of cooperation sounds very helpful. And it's what we're encouraging. It's, it's not mandatory here, but actually communication is going to be key, isn't it? And getting people yeah, back and in it's, the workplace and feeling comfortable being back in the workplace. Absolutely. It's involving people in decisions about their own mm. lives. And I think it's going to be, I mean, people are very frightened and people have been very frightened and absolutely understandably so. Uh, in order to address that fear, I think working together with people is going to be invaluable. Absolutely. Juan Jose, if I can just come to you on Spain and where you are in the lockdown and what stage you're at in Spain on that. Yeah, just uh, let me explain the current situation we have. Essentially, at this moment in Spain, we are following a, a sort of re-entry plan, which has been approved by the government. This seems to lead to what we call the new normality which I don't know what exactly does it mean at the moment, but uh, the plan is organized in three different stages, these three different phases, and the main cities in Spain, Barcelona, Madrid, is now transitioning over the phase stage of this new normality. The government has also agreed, as some of you know, on the emergency status, which is still in force till 21st of June, which is likely to be the last sanction on this emergency status. Uh, there has been some news on the newspapers saying that over 3 million employees uh, has been affected by layoffs in different sectors and business sectors and different companies, which is roughly a half a million less than in April, meaning that most of the companies are now relaunching their activities. And also uh, the government has announced that uh, there have been significant release on the, on the restrictions, the current restrictions, allowing visitors to come to Spain for the summer season. This will likely be implemented as from July, which, you know, most of the uh, the airports will be reopened again and most of the aviation company will be relaunching again their scheduling for the summer season. And this will hopefully help to recover part of the economic activities in Spain. Most of the companies, as far as we know, have implemented temporary layoffs on the basis of uh, the so-called force majeure, which will likely end on the 13th of June. This means that the companies are allowed to keep people under the, these layoffs with some rebates approved by the government uh, just to promote or to incentive that companies do not carry out dismissals and keep people uh, on employment, even though they will be kept on temporary suspension regime. And it has been also proved the possibility that for some specific business sectors, the board of ministers approved some extensions on these force majeure, likely to be in for hotels, schools, transport. And it means that for these business sectors, it is commonly accepted. Cover of the activity will be slower. So there is a need to incentive a little bit that those companies to stay under the protection of the temporary suspension regimes for uh, force majeure. And this is more or less the, the, the situation, the current situation in Spain. Thanks. And Ulf, do you want to just talk us through where you are in Germany, which is quite a different place to certainly where we are in the UK? Well, yes, to, to some extent, certainly it is. So the situation in Germany is, is to some extent characterized by the fact that we have a federal system. So and the, the health system is actually run by the state. So we have actually 16 different situations. And sometimes, sometimes even municipalities have different regulations. But the big picture is, of course, that we are a bit of a race towards the new normality. So some states have kind of loosened the restrictions very much and others want to stay cautious. But in general, you can say that overall, all shops are open now. The only thing is major events are still 
prohibited, but the number of people allowed to attend the public event is now slowly raised again. And the emphasis is now on contact tracing. So the health authorities have to be very fit in kind of if anything occurs. And what we notice now is that you seem to have not a lot of infection going on in in the general public, but there are certain singular events where we now had congregation in the church where people were in a closed space and sang a lot of songs and that kind of they got 70 infections. So you need to trace that. But in general, life otherwise has become much more normal with the, with the kind of proviso that people are in public or in shops are supposed to wear uh, face coverings and you are supposed to keep your distance one and a half meters if possible. Otherwise, as said, like also in our office, we are more or less back to normal and you just try where you have more people in one room to have partitions there. And that's also, that's like if you go in a restaurant, you it's, it's, a, it's kind of strange situation. If you go to a restaurant, you will have the waiter wearing a face covering. You have to wear the face covering when you are guided to your seat. And once you sit down, and of course, otherwise you can't eat, you are, you are allowed to take off your face covering and you will have a bit more space or you have partitions. Otherwise, it is getting more and more normal. There are no real restrictions on travel. I'd say, we, as we see, we're also getting towards now a European situation where people will be allowed to travel to other EU countries, which I think is good. So that's, I'd say, in a nutshell, is the situation in Germany. Thanks. That's really interesting. And it's interesting to hear, I mean, I guess, to be expected, but how different countries are at really different stages of the process. So just in relation to health and safety obligations and getting people back into the workplace, I might just come back to you, Ulf, if that's okay. So you, I think in Germany, quite a lot of people are back at work. Have there been particular challenges there? And, and do employers have particular health and safety obligations when they're trying to get people back into the workplace? Well, actually, they do. In general, the health situation at work is, is highly regulated in Germany. And uh, so now we have, contrary to the other situation, which is run by the federal states, these standards are set on the federal level. And now we have occupational health safety standard and there are recommendations like having the minimum distance of one and a half meters and partitions otherwise and uh, also the recommendation that office work should be carried out from home if possible and that business trips and attendance to events should be reduced to the absolute minimum so that's kind of recommendation it is not directly binding for employers but what you have to see is that if you don't comply with these standards and you should record also how you how you implement these measures and what your concept is otherwise there are liability risks uh, i mean normally we have a secretary accident insurance in germany which is the, i think was the first in the world where actually the liability for accidents at the workplace was taken from personal level was handed over to a state-run scheme, actually a, a very nice system for the employer as it took away this potential very high personal liability. But you still now you get personal liability or another liability outside of this statutory system if you don't comply with these standards. So it is highly recommended to really kind of think about what you're doing and to put down guidelines and regulations for your workplace. Okay, thanks. And Regan, in Ireland, what, what are employers doing to get people back into the workplace and the particular steps they're being obliged to take or indeed are taking? Well, um, they, I mean, employers have, a, have an obligation to create a safe place of work um, and to put in place you know, safe work activities and safe systems of work. And that, you know, that's always been the case or 
certainly since the 2005 Act. And so nothing has changed there. Obviously, COVID present, presents its particular, uh, particular risks. So employers, in part of uh, their obligations under the, the 2005 Act, they have to do a risk assessment of all the risks that are present in the workplace and then take steps to address those, including putting in place a safety statement. In this context, obviously, that's going to have to uh, take into account things like infection uh, it, when they go back into the workplace and, and alternatively, when people are working from home, the kind of risks that are present there, including isolation, stress, um, and you know, non-ergonomic work equipment and that kind of thing. Uh, in terms of encouraging people to come back to work, I suppose the, the main thing that employers need to do is to address the risks that are in front of them, uh, draw up a COVID-19 policy, including all the, that, that assessment and what they're doing to address it, uh, communicate that to employees to make sure their own policies, their other policies in terms of confidentiality, IT, all sorts of things will take account of COVID-19 and the new working situation that there is. And then, yeah, communicate that to employees so that they feel safe coming back. One of the things that's been discussed a lot in the UK is the risk on public transport. And I, I know you said earlier that people are being discouraged from using public transport or only using it for right. essential journeys. But does that fall under employers' obligations in Ireland as part of creating a safe place to work, creating okay. a safe commute? Arguably, I mean, it's a it's a whole new world on, on this really, isn't it? It's not something that would have come up before, but potentially. And and so employers are being encouraged to do things like stagger working times so as mm -hmm. to avoid, and that is in the government protocols, to avoid employees having to travel at peak times. Mm. Um, to an extent they are, and I know, um, I, I mean, I'm aware anecdotally of, of several employers having done that, and maybe some, some days their offices won't be open, and some people come in some days and not other days or with retail, their, their work, their hours of opening are, are different to how they normally would be. Um, so absolutely. Yeah, and I, it, people are being encouraged to, to walk or use bicycles, which is not going to be obviously possible for everybody. But if you're in a city um, like Dublin, which is fairly self-contained, uh, mm. a, a lot of people can. I know bicycle sales are up. Yeah, you know, they're all sold out in London. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the public transport thing is a big issue in the UK and it's um, especially in London, but in other places too. I think it's a real problem in terms of getting people back into the workplace because you can make the yeah. workplace as healthy as, you, you know, as safe and healthy as you can. But yeah, I think well, we're tied in about the underground, for example. Yes, the underground absolutely being a great example. And I, I was just saying, woe betide any employer who doesn't take that into account. Mm. Um, I, I think you should at least I suppose, be seen on paper, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to be cynical about it, to have considered the matter and to have done yeah. what you can to address it. Okay. Laia, can I come to you now and just, would you like to just talk to us about health and safety obligations on employers in Spain and what obligations they have to create a safe place of work to provide safety for their employees? Yeah, thank you, Beb. So as uh, Ulf was telling before in Germany, the Spanish situation is that employers who can keep, I mean, employees who can working from home are encouraged and employers are recommended to, to keep this situation as long as possible. So for example, uh, customer facing employees or any other type of employee who for whatever reason has to is required to be in person at the employer premises, then employer must make sure that certain measures on health and safety at work are met in his uh, or its facilities. So in this sense, the employer would be obligated, first of all, to carry out a COVID-19 risk assessment in consultation with the uh, health and safety experts either in-house services or external services, and to evaluate the circumstances of this re-entry. Then the employer would be obligated to provide with all the necessary equipment, such as masks, hand sanitizer, 
or even to install space dividers to protect workspaces if the necessary distance between employees cannot be guaranteed. Since three days ago, the minimum distance has been updated to 1.5 meters, just as I recall that uh, Ulf said it, it was in Germany. And it was two meters before, but then the, the government changed it. And right now, the minimum distance is set forth uh, at 1.5 meters. So if this distance cannot be respected at the workplace, then the employer has to take measures such as, you know, moving his furniture or just installing space dividers. Then, last but not least, the employee will have to provide with proper training and information to employees about the use of such uh, equipment or following like the prevention organizational measures of compliance that have been set. This is very important and this can potentially be uh, requested by the labor inspectorate. So our recommendation would be to keep track of all the training provided so in case it was necessary to prove that it has been done it would be possible besides the spanish ministry of health has also established guidelines to put in place and the labor inspectorate has also published their criteria uh, which is aligned with the published guidelines of the ministry of health and then there's also another obligation for employers which is that employers will have to bear in mind and take corresponding measures to efficiently protect the so-called specially sensitive employees. This is a very generic expression and it's a generic concept set forth in Article 25 of the Spanish Prevention of Professional Hazards Law of 1995 that would be applicable, for example, to employees with previous diseases or you know, disabilities, pregnant women, asthmatic persons, and to any person who would be, for whatever reason, especially sensitive to the virus. And for these specific persons, the employer would be required to take specific measures and implement them. And this is something that must not be left out. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, it's interesting. I think the distancing is really interesting because we're still at two metres, but there's a lot of discussion in the UK around whether that should be reduced. Yes, it was two meters three days ago, and yeah. then they just change it on the 9th of June, and it's one meter and a half. But it's uh, interesting, isn't it? Because who knows the difference really in a day to day basis between two meters and one and a half meters? And yeah, I think it's really hard to to judge personally how you're distancing in that way. I think it's quite interesting. Exactly. So, whatever you're not sure, employers uh, will have to recommend their employees to use masks. And that's basically is it. That, is it commonplace now for, for employees? to have to wear face coverings or masks in the workplace or is that still pretty unusual? I think that's pretty unusual because if you literally have to stay for a long time in a place where you cannot ensure that there's more than one meter and a half of distance between another person then I think the most common solution for the employer would be to install space dividers. Okay so like sort of plastic screens between? Correct. Regan, in Ireland, what rights do employees have if they believe that the workplace isn't safe? If they think that the employer hasn't taken the right step, what can they be doing and what should they be doing? Well, the ordinary thing that they would do is the same as before COVID-19 is that they should report that to their employer um, and ask their employer to deal with it. And then what happens after that is I suppose, where their rights come into play. So I mean, the employer should investigate it properly. If, if they've done things properly, they'll have identified all these risks themselves before people are even back in the workplace. Yeah. Um, not everybody does things correctly, of course. But um, let's say then uh, the employer penalizes the employee in one way or another as a result of them raising this health and safety issue. And then various rights can come into play in terms of whistleblowing, the Protected Disclosures Act, 
or even under the Safety, Health, Health and Welfare at Work Act, which is a bit of a mouthful, that's the 2005 Act I referred to earlier, uh, it has a, a specific clause saying that you cannot penalise employees for making complaints about health and safety. So either or both of those pieces of legislation could come into play if the employee were to then um, take issue proceedings against their employer for having penalised. Also, I suppose there could be issues in relation to discrimination, where the employee, say, is somehow medically vulnerable and is raising the issue in that context. So, yeah, they're, they're protected under a number of pieces of legislation, and I suspect there will be litigation resulting um, from all of this. I mean, there's generally litigation resulting from everything, but uh, I'd be, it'll be interesting to see how it's going to play out. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the problems we're seeing in the UK, or one of the issues we're facing in the UK, is that I think there will be litigation coming out of this, but um, our court and tribunal system has been so slowed down by COVID, and yes. this sort of ground to a halt and is just getting sort of started again with virtual hearings but actually enforcing any of those rights is going to be difficult i agree you've had similar issues in ireland yeah i mean it's the same our workplace relations commission hasn't had any remote hearings so far i think Mm. possibly the labor force has had one or two i could be wrong about that the court system has had some the the workplace relations commission are only really talking about scheduling that going forward and i think it's going to be slow I, yeah. I, I think we're going to be seeing these cases coming up for hearing a year from now, potentially. And that's yeah. really not good for employees. No, it's not good for, for enforcing rights, is it? No. And Laia, in, in Spain, what can employees do if they feel that, you know, if they're concerned their workplace isn't safe or if they don't feel that they're coming to a safe place to work? So again, the Spanish Prevention of Professional Hazards Law of 1995 sets forth in its Article 21 that employees can refuse to continue working. and actually abandon the premises if there is a serious and upcoming risk of infection at the workplace. So this is utterly uncommon and it would normally imply that the employees or its legal representatives, such as the trade unions, file a complaint before the labor inspectorate. Mm -hmm. And so far, to be honest, we have never seen that happen. And this is just an extraordinary and extreme possibility set forth in the law. And we think that this has very limited practical applicability. But besides that, and also related to what um, our colleague uh, Regan in Ireland was mentioning, this could also perhaps some litigation issues might arise. It's interesting because in the UK, we've got similar legislation which says that you can, in theory, you can uh, refuse to work, you can leave the workplace if there's a serious and imminent danger to your health and safety. But it's not entirely clear. It doesn't use the word infection, so it's not entirely clear that it would apply to COVID-19. And so I think there's going to be litigation literally just on that point and whether the danger is serious and imminent. And the legislation wasn't drafted for this kind of scenario. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in practice. I think it's exactly the same situation here in Spain. Yeah, just legislation that, as you say, is very rarely used and no one has... You know, Correct, it's, 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 it's from 1995 and it's actually never almost been used. So yeah, we'll see if that's useful and then we'll see potential litigation that this might bring and, yeah. and how it is decided. Interesting. And Ulf, is there anything particular, any protection for employees in those circumstances in Germany? I think it's different in in Germany. The basic principle is that the employee is obliged to appear for work um, unless he has a medical certificate. And uh, so basically it's up to the employer to decide whether work is safe or not. But I also agree that I think there will be legislation on that. And actually we have had cases where people did not appear to work 
based on them saying that they are belong to a so-called risk group. Mm -hmm. So with the question is whether you leave it to the employee to decide for themselves, whether they feel not safe. In general, that's a bit tricky. And I had a specific case where this employee had already a previous case where he had been given a written warning because he hadn't appeared to work because he thought that I think his travel wasn't safe. So because of the written warnings, so he's now being given a notice of termination. But I think we'll see what litigation will make out of this the situation. If you belong to a group and you feel or you can prove to some extent that the circumstances quite objectively weren't up to standards, then you might be excused from not appearing at work or refusing to work. So we'll see whether this notice of termination stands. But the general principle is you have to come to work and how you get to work is completely on the employee side. So as the employer is not, in theory, is not responsible for kind of public transport. It's just the employee has to see how he or she comes to work. That's the same if you have a snowstorm, it's kind of, it's your problem. Yeah. So in general, we, we see that there's still kind of big onus on the employees here and it remains to be seen whether the courts will apply different standards in this pandemic situation. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think it comes back to what Regan and I were saying at the beginning, that communication is going to be really important, that there will be employees who are worried about coming to work and that actually having those kinds of just having conversations with them and, and being open, employer and employee being open and having those discussions early to avoid disputes is going to be really crucial i think yeah that's true i mean to some extent also you have the thing that in health regulation matters um the works councils have called determination so that might lead to the fact that the, the works council we want to have a specific regulation for covid19 and uh, if we don't have that that might also put specific pressure on the employer that he can't employ them under these circumstances or at least risk groups i think there's a lot to, that will be clarified later and we'll see what the new standards will be for those situations mm. and is the, are the courts i mean our case is proceeding in in germany are the courts doing yeah, very yeah, i mean it's at least i mean there's kind of normal courts or other courts not that much labor courts quite so especially uh, with regard to to termination situations there's a special principle of speeding up those cases so the courts after i think there was an initial, initial delay of some weeks where they had to kind of sort themselves out but yeah uh, in general um, those cases i mean they try to put more pressure on why don't you try to solve the cases yourself and settle yeah but i mean so that's mostly not possible and, and sometimes not possible without the help of the court or having have a court hearing first where you have the, the judge as usual in germany especially in labor courts where the judge will tell what he thinks of the case or where he he will Will give guidance as to what you think would be a fair settlement so to some extent you you need the courts at least the labor courts they're not up to 100 but i think they're they're up to kind of 70 percent or so okay interesting and Lyo, what are the courts doing in Spain? Are hearings going ahead? Is there things happening virtually or is it stopped? Well, as you may already know, courts in Spain are particularly slow. And right now, after this lockdown, they are going back to normal activity um, step by step. And in general, it depends on the city and it depends also on the specific court. Mm -hmm. But we're not having many cases related to COVID situations yet. So no. we'll have to wait a bit more to see the outcome of this potential or already uh, submitted claims. And many courts have already started with the online hearings. Mm -hmm. So we have already resumed some hearings that were suspended during the lockdown. And we have 
successfully carried out hearings and appeared in court, but from our office and online. And well, it's been quite good so far. That's really interesting. And I know it's not strictly on our topics to discuss today, but I think that the UK employment tribunal system is really struggling with the, with the virtual hearings. Some are doing better than others, but the London tribunals are really struggling to get anything heard any full hearings, substantive hearings heard, which I think, as I said, is a real problem for access to justice and, Correct. Uh, and the delay in, in that process is really difficult, I think. Lyra, in Spain, is the, the public transport issue, is that discussed much? Is it something that employers need to be concerned about or is it more like in Germany where, as Ulf says, it's more an issue for the employee? So it's not such a big issue as I know it is in the UK, particularly because working from home is still our main status quo so not many people is actually commuting to work but in case this was an issue the employer should take it into account when the employer carries out the risk assessment related to the covid and the employer would be obligated to provide information and proper training to its employees in order to take the correct and specific measures during the commuting, such as using the mask and, you know, hand sanitizers and yeah. sort of health guidance that's provided by the authorities. But yes, the employer would have this responsibility probably to inform. That's really interesting. Thanks very much. I think we've covered all the questions we were going to cover. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. This has been an In and Guard podcast, and there will be more over the coming weeks to discuss these issues.